0: Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Nice. Mm, you look good. Bridge Youth, how you doing this morning? Nice. Awesome. It's good to be in the house with everybody. Today's a good day. I'm excited for all that's in store today. It doesn't matter what happened in the Dodger game last night, man. Yeah, watch, watch what you say. I'm just kidding. God, help me not to put my faith in the Dodgers anymore. But I know what's gonna happen next year. I'll be back watching TV again. Hey. <laughs> but seriously, it's so good to be in Church with you this morning. I'm excited for all that God has in store for us today. I know he's already begun a good thing this morning. And we're so grateful that you are here to share in it today. And I just want to take a moment to welcome all of our guests. If you are here for the very first time at the bridge, thank you for being here today and welcome. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge and we're so grateful that you chose to be in service with us this morning. You know, you could have gone to a lot of great churches here in the valley and so when you chose to get up and come here intentionally on Sunday morning, we want you to know that we're grateful that you made that decision. Thank you for being in church today. It's awesome to get to spend the morning and share the morning with you we're so so glad that you're here today and i also want to let you know that we would love to meet you after service at the connection center so let me give you a personal invitation stop by the connection center it's to your right as soon as you go outside this first set of exit doors We have a great team that serves there, and their goal is to help you to answer any questions you might have and tell you how you can get connected here in the church. We are glad that you're here. We want to help you find home and find fulfillment in the house of God. So thank you for being here today. We are glad that you're here. If you're a part of the Bridge family, would you put your hands together and let's welcome all of our guests today. As we get into God's word this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. It shows us where we stand It's a light to our path that shows us where we're going. A lot of us need to know where we stand today and many of us need to know where we're going today, God. So we look to you, we open your word, we declare it's a blessing and a gift from you that you have given us that direction. And so we just set everything else aside and we fully put our intentions on your word, our focuses on your word today, God, that we would learn from you, that we would hear from you, and that we would know you more today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. If you got your Bible, would you meet me this morning in 2 Kings chapter 6? 2 Kings chapter 6. We've been in a series over the last few weeks, really over a month now, called Believing Beyond, and we're talking about faith. We're talking about how God wants us to grow in our faith. God wants us to grow in our belief. God wants us to walk out a lifestyle that is believing, receiving, and taking hold of all the promises that he has made to us. And as we get started this morning, I want to start out, before we get to 2 Kings, I want to start out just by quickly reviewing a passage of scripture that we've referred to multiple times over these last few weeks. For all of us who are here today that call ourselves Christians, if we were to just kind of do a quick survey and ask the question, how would you define faith? What's a working definition of faith? I think most of us would point to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. We've talked about this a lot in our services over the last few weeks, so I don't want to spend too much time here this morning, but I think it's important to point out a couple of things. What is faith? What's a definition of faith? Of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that now faith is the substance, everybody say substance, Substance. of things hoped for and the evidence, everybody say evidence, of things not yet seen. If we were to take this verse, this passage and simply put it, what is faith? Faith is substance and faith is evidence. I remember this was taught to me a few years ago and it really helped me to get a better handle on what faith is supposed to be in my life according to scripture. Now, I want to take some moments, some time just to break this down over the next few moments and and help you understand what I'm talking about. It's interesting the way that this is laid out in scripture. Faith is substance and faith is evidence. But in between those two words, there's sandwiched the word hope. Faith is the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of Of what we don't yet see. For a lot of us, I think if we were to really be honest with ourselves and ask the question, what is faith? I think a lot of us would describe faith as an internal belief or an internal hope that lives right here. And that's not a wrong answer, but internal hope and internal belief is not the full definition of what faith really is. Because faith becomes faith when the belief and the hope that I have inside of me makes its way from the outs- from the inside to the outside. And I begin to take steps of faith, saying even though I don't yet see the thing I'm believing for, I'm choosing to walk toward it. In other words, what I believe on the inside makes its way to the outside. And now my hope has converted from hope to faith. I'm believing it. I'm walking toward it. I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to grab it. Faith is substance, and faith is Evidence. Faith is not just an inward condition. Faith is an external action that is a reflection reflection of what I believe internally. Does that make sense to everybody this morning? Now, with that said, I want to look really quickly at another passage. And we won't have this one on the screen this morning for the sake of time. But, you know, in James chapter 2, James wrote something really interesting. You know, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote something really fascinating. He observed that of all the people that were a part of the church there... He saw that there were two kinds of Christians that existed a lot in that local church. He saw that there were Christians who would define their Christianity by an internal belief. That was one kind. And then there was another kind of Christian that would define their Christianity by their external works. And so he tried to, he tried to figure out, what is it that saves us? What is it that justifies our salvation? Is it faith alone, or do we earn our salvation through the works that we do? Now, we know later on in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul said that salvation is the gift of God. It's the free gift of God. It's given to us by grace through faith. We cannot earn our salvation, otherwise we'd be able to brag about it. We can't earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. It's simply the free gift of God given to us by grace, and we reach out and we grab it by faith. That's how we are saved. So he asked this question. He says, can you be saved by faith alone, or are we justified by our works? And then later on, after he talks about those two things, he makes a really interesting statement. He says, faith without works is dead. Now, does that mean that if I'm not working to earn my way into heaven, I don't have real faith? No, he says faith. He doesn't say belief. I want to say to you this morning, there's a difference between being a person of belief internally and being a person of faith externally. And here's what I mean by that. You can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross, that he died for your sins, and that three days later God raised him from the dead. And your eternity will be secure if you are walking in a relationship with God. That's a person of belief. But you can have a belief on the inside and still not possess the promises of God on the outside because you're not walking out a lifestyle of faith. Faith and belief are two different things. And I believe that the, the, the conclusion that James came to in James chapter 2 when he said that faith without works is dead is simply this. If we have faith, then we will continually be doing, putting into action outside the things that we say we believe on the inside. Because faith is substance, and faith is evidence, and faith is action. It's not just something that lives on the inside. It's something that's so strong on the inside it begins to make its way to the outside. It makes its way from my heart to my hands and to my feet, and I begin to act on the outside on the things that I say I believe on the inside. Amen? Amen. So with that said, we know what faith is. Faith is substance. Faith is evidence. Faith is action. We have all of that from Scripture, but today I think it's important to take a little bit of time and talk about what faith is not, okay? I want to talk a little bit about what faith is not, and I want to say this today very gently and humbly, if I may, because it's important that we, as the people of God, do not suffer from a lack of knowledge. We need to understand what Scripture says about our faith so that we can apply it in our everyday life and therefore go out and possess all the promises that God has made to us in this life. So in saying all of that, now I want to meet you in 2 Kings chapter 6. And before we read this passage, I want to give you a little bit of background and a little bit of context, Okay. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we see that the king of Syria has been planning over and over to attack Israel. He's got all these different plots to come after the nation of Israel. But every single time the king of Syria begins to plot against Israel, God speaks to Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, and says, There's a plot that's coming against your nation. Get ready. Here's what's going to happen. And every single time, Israel is prepared for what the king of Syria is about to do. It happens time after time after time until the king of Syria becomes very frustrated. And he's like, every time we put a plot into action, it's as if they know what's coming and they're ready for us. And we can't attack them and prevail. And so one day the king of Syria, he gathers up all of his advisors, he gathers up all of his, his captains of his army, and he looks at them and he says, among us is a traitor. There's a spy and a traitor among us because every time we go to attack Israel, it's like they know what's coming. It's like someone's telling them, you're about to be attacked. And the captains speak up and they say, no, sir, let me just tell you, there's not a spy among us and there's not a traitor among us. In fact, there's a man of God in Israel. His name is Elisha. And every time we put a plan in motion, God speaks to him and they're able to spoil our plan and our plot. That's what's happening. Is that for me? Sorry. And so... And so the king of Syria is so frustrated. So when he calls all of his advisors together, he tells them, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to get Elisha for me, and I want you to bring him to me. If we can't beat them by battle, then we'll go and capture him and make sure that he's out of the way so that we can be victorious. Now let's pick up 2 Kings 6. This is what it says in verse 14. Therefore, he sent horses, the king of Syria, he sent horses and chariots and a great army to this place called Dothan, okay? And they came by night and surrounded The city, Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So the servant of Elisha wakes up and looks outside and sees suddenly they're surrounded by an army. They're surrounded by chariots. They're surrounded by horses and things ain't looking so good. Now look at verse 16. So Elisha answered and said... Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Open my servant's eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young servant, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, you might recognize this passage of Scripture because we actually started here at the beginning of this series last month. But I want to take a moment and I want to like just kind of ask you to put yourself in the shoes of Elisha's servant for just a moment. I think we've all had days where we got up in the morning and we said, today's going to be a good day. The sun is shining outside. The birds are singing. I feel like there's nothing against me. God is for me. There's nothing that could come my way that's too big for my God, so today's going to be a great day. I think that's what Elisha's servant was thinking when he got up in the morning, looked outside, and suddenly realized they were surrounded by an army. You ever woke up in the morning thinking it was going to be a good day, and as soon as you walked out the front door, you found that you were surrounded by opposition? Anybody ever had a day like that? The funny thing about that is I think that if that's what Elisha's servant was thinking, he probably forgot who he signed up to serve. Because Elisha was the man of God. And let me tell you something, if you want to be a man or a woman of God, every devil in hell is going to hate the fact that you've committed your life to Jesus, And when we wake up every day, we shouldn't be discouraged by what comes our way, but we should know we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and there's a devil in hell who doesn't like it. So imagine Elisha's servant waking up that day, and everything's supposed to be good, but as soon as he opens up the window and sees what's going on outside, he says, oh my goodness, we're surrounded, we're surrounded, there's an army outside, there's chariots, there's horses, what in the world are we going to do? So he runs over and he wakes up his master and says, Elisha, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come quick, just just, just look out there. Just just open the window and take a quick peek. Just, Just take a quick look. And Elisha opens up the window and he looks outside. And as the servant stood back full of fear, Elisha closes the window and looks back at him with a smile on his face and says, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Now, I'm just going to be really honest with you for a moment. If I put myself in the shoes of Elisha's servant, I'd have been like, are you looking at the same thing I'm looking at right now? What is it that you see that I don't see? And in saying that today, I want, you to, say, I want to just be really honest with you. I'm a pretty non-confrontational person. I don't much care for argument. I don't much care for fighting. And when things come my way that seem to be bigger than me, sometimes I can get a little bit fearful when I feel like I'm up, up against opposition. And I think that's exactly what happened in this picture with Elisha's servant. So Elisha come, or the servant comes, grabs Elisha and says, this is what's going on. And he says, don't worry about it because those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. What was it that he saw that was different? See, two men opened one window and both saw the same opposition. But one man saw opportunity when the other one only saw opposition. And here's the point I want to make to you this morning. Every time we come up against opposition, we have to recognize that we can't be overwhelmed by the opposition that surrounds us. We need to see the size of the opposition and realize that it's actually an opportunity to show us how great our God really is. Now, I told you this morning that we were going to talk about what faith is not, okay? Now, here's the very first point that I want to make to you this morning. Faith is never denial. Faith is never denial. Denial. Okay? Now, a lot of people of great faith have gotten a bad rap because sometimes people will say, well, you're just a denial faith person. You just deny that there's things going on around you and you just proclaim and profess the things of God around you even though you can't yet see it. You just go into denial about what's going on around you. But I want to say today that faith, real faith, is never denial. Now, is it okay if we just tell a joke real quick and have a laugh for a moment? All right, I can tell this joke because I think pastors told it in church before, so I'll go ahead and tell it to you. But, um, Pastor Gary, this is one of these jokes that kind of has made its way around our office a bunch of times, okay? There was three men. They, were, they believed all to be Christians, and they were on an airplane. One was a Baptist, one was a Pentecostal, and the other one was Word of Faith. You guys know where this is going, some of you. Well, things weren't going so good on that airplane, and pretty soon the airplane starts to go down, and unfortunately, the airplane crashed, and there were no survivors. And so these three men who were on the airplane step into eternity, except when they step into eternity, they find out that they didn't go to the place they thought they were going. They didn't go to heaven, instead, they found themselves down in hell. And they're wondering what in the world is going on? How did we get here? How did this happen? And the Baptist speaks up and he says, "I don't know how this happened. I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I prayed that prayer once. I made that statement of faith once, and I believed that my eternal, my eternity was secure. And it doesn't matter whatever happened; nothing could pluck me out of the hand of God. But suddenly I stand here, and I don't know how I got here. How did this happen? I thought my eternity was secure." And the Pentecostal speaks up, and he says, well, obviously you backslid, brother. We've backslidden. We all believe we were Christians going to heaven, but suddenly we, we, we realize that we've backslidden, and this is our punishment for walking away from God. And they look at the Word of Faith guy, and they say, what do you think about this? And he says, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. <laughs> Don't be offended. It's just a joke. I'm kind of laughing at me when I say that because I got a lot of faith roots, okay, and so does our church. I recognize that. And scripture talks very significantly about the significance of the confession of our faith. We should confess the word of God over our situation. But the only thing that makes our confession powerful is when it's aligned with the word of God. Now, the reason I want to say this to you this morning is because when I look at what Elisha prayed there with his servant, I'm really blown away at the approach that he took. Because Elisha prays a prayer and says, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of my servant so that he can see. Can see what? Can see what God sees. Can see the supernatural. Can see beyond the opposition. And not just see opposition, but suddenly see opportunity. I love how Elisha prays because I want you to notice something. Elisha did not pray that God would make the army supernaturally disappear. Elisha did not pray that God would somehow make the Syrian army turn around and go home. He did not pray that the army of Israel would come and kill the Syrian army and save them from this situation. Instead, he prayed that his servant would be able to see, beyond his natural ability, that he would be able to see what God sees. See, a lot of us, when we encounter the opposition, we start praying prayers that sound something like this. God, just make them go away, make them go away, make them go away, make them turn around and go home. I'm not walking out the front door, God, until you make them go away, until they're all gone. Please just let someone come and save me. God, please just let someone come and knock them out, kill them, take them away. Just make them turn around, change their mind, not wanna fight, not wanna capture us. God, make the problem go away. And a lot of times we get stuck in that place of, God, take my problems away. But what we don't realize is that every time we face opposition, opposition is an opportunity. And if we pray a prayer that sounds like, God, make my problems go away, we probably have denial faith. Why do we go into denial over certain things? Can I be honest with you from my own experience? One of the reasons why I sometimes go into denial about things is because I'm afraid to face the reality of the situation. I'm afraid to look and see just how big the problem really is. Sometimes I'm afraid to face it. Sometimes I'm afraid to face my fears. But I want to say this to you this morning. If we're not going to have fights, why would we need faith? Because faith was made for fighting. Let me say that again so that you can get excited. Faith was made for fighting. And if you found yourself in a situation where you're going to have to fight back, it's going to require faith in order for you to do it. Because sometimes we face opposition and obstacles that are bigger than us and greater than us. And we have to know, going in, that we shouldn't be in denial and say, God, rescue me and take me out of this situation, make the situation go away. No, instead, faith should rise up on the inside of us so that we're able to face our fears. A lot of us want to go into denial because we don't want to face those fears. Let me give you a good example of this, okay? And we're not going to spend a lot of time in this passage of Scripture, but one of the greatest places that this is illustrated is in 1 Samuel 17. I think we all know the story of David and Goliath, right? Even if you're not a church person or really a Christian, you probably still know the story of David and Goliath. I am amazed when I read the story of David and Goliath because there's so many layers of context to the story. But here's the part I want to point out to you. You I was reading through this passage of Scripture not too long ago, and there was something that just jumped out to me. Scripture says in 1 Samuel 17 that David's father sent him out to a battlefield. And when he got to the battlefield, he was supposed to go check on his brothers and make sure they were okay and bring some food to the commanders in the army. And when he gets there, Scripture said that there was a 40-day standoff that had been happening. Forty days. On one side, you have the Israelite army. On the other side, you have the Philistine army. And the reason that there's a standoff, there's no fighting happening. There's a standoff because there's a giant in the Philistine camp that everybody in the Israelite camp is afraid of. And the reason the standoff is happening and the battle isn't progressing and moving forward is because there's nobody in the Israelite camp who's willing to face their fears and go and fight the giant. And then suddenly David shows up. And if you look at David getting there, David did not come in to fight. David came because his father sent him there to bring some food and check on his brothers. And what's so amazing about this is that in the same way that Elisha prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant, that he could see what God sees, David walks out to this battlefield, he hears the taunts of the giant, and suddenly he hears something that nobody else hears. Suddenly he sees something that nobody else sees, and he realizes that there's nobody else who's willing to face the fear of fighting this giant. And David thinks to himself, wait, hold on. Is there anybody else who's hearing what I'm hearing? Is there anybody else that's seeing what I'm seeing? Is there nobody else in the camp who recognizes the fact that this giant is defying the God of Israel, the God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence? I'm hearing something that nobody else is hearing. And we know what happens next. David steps out to fight the giant, and he takes him out with a sling and a stone. David saw what God saw. Nobody else in the Israelite camp saw it. Now, here's what's amazing to me about this. If you look at the way this plays out, David did not go out there to fight. And scripture gives us all this evidence that David was incredibly skillful with a sling and a stone. But don't you think that there was somebody in the Israelite army who was equally skillful with a a sword or a spear? I have to believe that because they were trained soldiers. So what was the difference between David and everybody else in the Israelite army? He saw what nobody else saw. He saw the thing that God saw. When everybody else looked at Goliath and saw opposition, David saw opportunity. In fact, when we talk about denial faith, I believe that David got there that day and what he probably saw was a lot of soldiers sitting in their tents saying, God, make the giant go away, make the giant go away, take him away, raise up somebody that can kill him, M- make him change his mind and go home. You know, wh- whatever you need to do, God, but I'm not stepping foot out of this tent until you make the problem go away. And when David got there, he didn't pray to God to make the problem go away. His faith rose up inside of him because he saw the thing that God saw and said, I'm willing to go out, face my fear, and fight the giant because there's a greater opportunity on the other side of this opposition. A lot of us, we fall short of fighting the giants that are in front of us because we're afraid to face just how big the problem really is. And right now, if you're facing a giant in your life, some sort of opposition, some sort of obstacle, when you look at it every single day of your life and say, oh my God, this is a big problem, can I tell you that that opposition is a great opportunity to find out just how much bigger your God really is. Come on. Because our God is a big God. You know, I thought about this between services because I preached the same message last service, and forgive me if this comes out a bit crass, But a lot of us have Christianity where we're afraid to admit that we have a problem sometimes. We just want God to make the problem go away. Did you know at Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is admitting that you have a problem and that you are powerless to defeat it? There are Christians that haven't figured that out yet, but yet alcoholics who are trying to overcome that addiction already have. We need to realize that when we have a problem, we're not going to see that problem go away until we recognize there's a problem and i got to deal with it. We can't pray for God to just make the problem go away. We have faith so that we can stand up and we can fight. Amen? We got to be those kind of people. I'm sorry if that was a little bit crass, but I really want to drive that point home today, okay? Forty days. Forty days, the Israelite army sat back thinking the problem's going to go away, and it didn't change until David stepped out on the battlefield and saw what only God saw, and he was willing to take action. That leads us to the second point this morning, okay? what faith is not. Number two, faith is not inactivity. Faith is never inactive. Faith is always action. Now, there's a phrase that we use all the time when we talk about asking and believing and and receiving from God. You know, last week, Pastor Gary talked about what do we do between the asking and the receiving? And there's a phrase that we like to use when we find ourselves in that in-between season. We say, we're waiting on God, we're waiting on God. There's nothing wrong with that because Scripture actually talks about waiting on God and what a, the principle of waiting looks like in Scripture. But for a lot of us, sometimes waiting is inactivity. And God has called us to be anything but inactive during our season of waiting to receive what he's promised us. Now, I want to review really quickly the four things that Pastor Gary said because I think these will hit home and help us go into the right direction here today. Pastor Gary said these four things last week, things that we can do between our asking and in our receiving, okay? He said these four things. Number one, hold tight to your faith. The Apostle Paul said that we hold fast to our confession of faith. What makes our confession significant? When we're continually confessing the same thing that the Word of God says about our situation. The second thing that he said was, water our process with praise. Water the process with praise. We might not see seen this thing bloom yet, the thing that we're believing for, but in the meantime and in the process, I can continue to water that seed with praise. I feel like someone needs to hear this this morning. If you're going through a difficult season because you have not yet received the thing that you're believing for, water your process with praise, bring God into the equation, and see how big your God is and how much smaller your problems start to get. When you invite the presence of God into your process, suddenly the things that seem so big, the cares of this world, start to seem really small because God gets real big in, in, when we're in his presence. He steps in and he makes a difference in our process. And number three, get your feet wet. Pastor Gary used that phrase when he was talking about the Israelites and Joshua and the priests that stepped out into the Jordan River in order to go into the promised land. We have to be active in this process. We can't just wait for God to hand us over the land. No, we have to go in and pursue it. And sometimes that requires us getting our feet wet. And then the fourth thing he said was stop watching the clock. Stop watching the clock. I got to say, this stop watching the clock. I was thinking about this this morning and it reminded me don't judge me, but it reminded me of being in detention when I was in high school. I know I ain't the only one here who's ever had detention, okay? There's students in the room, hey. So, (laughs) but here's the thing, I remember when I was in high school, like there was nothing worse than getting detention, but you know what was worse than detention was Saturday school. Oh my God, that's from the devil. (laughs) But come to think of it, I was probably acting like the devil in order to get it, so I guess I got what I deserved, but I don't know how they do Saturday school or did Saturday school at the school that you went to, but at my school, Saturday school was not school. It was sitting in a chair, looking at the clock, can't talk to nobody, no gestures, and if you mess up and and, and miss it, you've got to come back and do it all over again next week. Two hours of sitting in a chair and staring at the clock. Let me tell you something. When you have to do that for two hours, you're not counting minutes. You're counting seconds. It's miserable. It's torture. It's awful. It's probably, well, I won't say that, but anyway. (laughs) But it's awful. It's awful. Because I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, there are so many other things I wish I was doing right now besides watching the clock. Can I just tell you, if you're waiting on your promise from God, there are so many other things you can be doing than watching the clock. And I say this jokingly, but like sometimes when we put God on the clock, you know what God does? He looks down and says, time. You feel so controlled and so constrained by time. You know what I know about time? I created it. I hold it in my hand. I laugh at time. I spoke it into existence. You're worried about it? I got it right here. Right now, if you feel like God doesn't know what your deadline is, can I just encourage you to take a deep breath and relax because God controls time and he knows exactly what you need in his perfect time. Now, I read through those things, those four things really quickly, and I want to draw those to your attention today because we see that faith is never inactive. Those are four active things that we can do in between our asking and our receiving. But, you know, I also said earlier that sometimes we use that phrase, I'm waiting on the Lord, waiting on God. And I want to talk about that from Scripture in just a moment, but I was reminded of something as I was putting this message together yesterday. You know, we all frequent restaurants. We go to restaurants, and now if you walk into a restaurant, the process usually goes something like this. The host or the hostess will walk you to your table, and they'll seat you at your table. They'll hand you the menus, and they'll say, your server will be with you in just a moment. They might call them by name. And you'll sit there, and then suddenly your server comes up, introduces themselves to you, and you get started ordering and go on with your evening. What's interesting is, I know everybody will remember this because it's not that long ago. Server is very much the common term. But back in the day, we didn't say server, we just said waiter or waitress. It's not spelled any different than the word wait, like there's a delay. It's the word wait, waiter, or waitress. And here's why I bring this up I was actually looking this up the other day because I thought that's such a funny word for a server, a waiter. Waitress? Why is that? And I was researching this a little bit, and this this word waiter actually predates the United States. It's an old English word that goes back to English times, when there would be a servant or a server that would stand at the king's table and serve the king and his guests. And when they stood there, most of the time since the meal was already preset and they knew every course that would be coming, the waiter would simply stand there and wait to receive orders. So if they needed a refill... He waited until they were told to bring out the refills. That's what's, the thing that I find funny about that is that if you go to like P.F. Chang's on a Friday night, one thing you'll find is that the servers are doing anything but waiting around because it's busy. There's a lot of tables. There's a lot of people to be served. And they're doing anything but waiting around. And the reason why I want to kind of bring your attention to that is because I think for a lot of us, we miss out on this idea of what waiting on God is really supposed to be. Because when I watch a waiter or a server at a restaurant and what they're doing, they're, anything, they're doing anything but waiting around. In fact, they are, they are proactively serving me at my table. And the reason why is because they are expecting that if they serve me well, at the end of the night, there's a reward that's coming their way. Now, some of you, when you receive the check, you look at it and you think, oh, no, this is the part where they're probably expecting me to give a big tip. Can I just tell you something? If I go to a restaurant, I'm expecting good service so I have a good experience, and if I have a good experience, I'm more than happy to give them a good tip because they earned it and I came here for that. Now, why am I saying this? I'm not saying that you earn the rewards of heaven. I'm not saying that you earn the promises of God. What I'm saying is is that you might not yet receive the things that you're believing for, but in the meantime, the best thing to do is not wait around for God to bring it. Instead, proactively step out in faith and say, I'm going after it. I know there's a reward that's coming. I'm stepping out in faith. I'm pursuing it. God promised it to me, so therefore, I'm going to serve as if it's nobody else's business. I'm saying, God, you made me a promise, and I'm coming after that thing. I'm going to possess it. It's going to be mine. I'm going to hold It in my hands. This idea of waiting on the Lord is supposed to be a whole lot more proactive and a lot less inactive. Let me explain it from scripture to you really quick, okay? I'll do this as fast as I can. Isaiah 40, verse 31, most of us know this passage of scripture, but they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Can I ask you, if you've been waiting on God to do something, has your strength been renewed? I know a lot of you ain't being honest if you're saying yes. The reason why is because sometimes when we're waiting around, we're like, okay, God, where you at? Have you found that most of the time you get impatient when you're waiting on God? I think one of the reasons why is because we take an inactive approach to waiting on God rather than a proactive approach of what's right around the corner. Scripture says, they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting is anything but inactive. It's absolutely proactive for the thing that you're believing for right around the corner. Now, I got to preach from this other passage of scripture earlier this year, and I really enjoyed what I saw when I read this passage. This is what it says in Psalm 4610, okay? Most of us know this verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. Can I just tell you that was not written as an excuse for us to be lazy when we're waiting around in the process of receiving from God. Listen to the way this is written. It says in Psalm 46, starting in verse 6, "...the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts," that's the Lord of heaven's armies, "...is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge." Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. All of these things are speaking about war. And in fact, this passage of Scripture was written by the sons of Korah, who were some of David's mighty warriors. They were also the worship leaders in their local church. And the reason why I'm saying this to you today is because these guys knew a thing or two about war. But the entire context of this passage is that when I have to go fight battles, there's something I'm required to do. But when I come to the end of my strength, I have to lay my weapons down and say, God, I've done my very best. I'm counting on you to do the rest. And then he says these words, Be still and know that I am God. I just said this statement like, three seconds ago, but I want to just really reiterate this to you this morning. I was taught this when I was in in Sunday school when I was a kid, and I've held on to it my whole life. If we will do our best, we can count on God to do the rest. An act of faith is doing what I can do, not sitting back because I feel like I can't fix the problem myself. It's what can I do with what I have in my hands, and if I do my very best, I'll step in in faith and see God do the rest of what I can't do. We talk about God doing supernatural things. Most often supernatural happens when I give God my natural and he throws a super down on top of it. What is the natural that you have in your hand today that you can do something with? Don't, wait back. Don't sit back and wait for God to fix the problem and live in denial. No, face your fears. Come and look at the giant dead in the face and say this is how big the obstacle is but how much bigger the opportunity for God to prove his strength in my situation. That's what we have to do and we have to be active in our approach Now, I'm running out of time this morning, but I think it's really important that we understand God is always wanting us to participate in the process. Faith is a partnership. In the same way that you receive your salvation, it's extended by God through grace, we reach out and grab it by faith. So are the promises of God. They're extended by grace, we reach out and accept by faith. It's a partnership. It's a beautiful partnership that takes place in our relationship with God. Now, when we talk about activity, we as Christians, we have to understand that from the word of God, we receive wisdom for how to live in faith. And the very final point in closing this morning that I want to bring to you is simply this. We as Christians, we need to understand the difference between faith and foolishness. We need to understand the difference between faith In foolishness. It's funny, if you read on in 2 Kings chapter 6, what happens with Elisha and his servant is God blinds the eyes of the armies, and instead of going out and trying to fight this army, Elisha walks out and stands in front of an entire army who's been blinded by the Lord and says, you guys have come to the wrong place. Let me point you in the right direction. And it says that he leads them all the way to Samaria, where they come face to face with the king of Israel. Now, let me tell you something. If God doesn't tell you to do that, that's a really dumb thing to do. Most of scripture exists after that story, Okay. Here's what I'm saying to you today. When you're facing big decisions and you need to step out in faith, you need to go to the Word of God and find out what it has to say about your situation instead of taking it into your own hands and doing something foolish. But this also swings the other way, and this is really what I want to share with you for the remaining time that we have. I'm almost done this morning, okay? I I want to just share this personal story, and I really battled with whether or not to share this today because it was very sensitive to me. I remember when my wife and I got married, Just like a lot of young married couples, man, we didn't have much money. It was hard sometimes to pay the bills. It was hard sometimes, in fact, all the time, to pay the rent. And one of the things that began to happen for me during that season was things sometimes were so tight and so difficult that there was a fear that began to grow on the inside of me. And it wasn't just for like what was going on around me. I was afraid to even look at my bank account. Now how many know that's foolish? You need to know how much money is in your checking account before you go spending money. Someone needs to say amen to that. Either that or like a few people need to learn a good lesson right now. I was afraid to even look at my bank account. You want to know why? Because I did, when I looked at my bank account, I didn't see what I had. I saw everything I didn't have. I saw the lack. I saw the shortage. I saw everything that I wanted to have that I was unable to have. And I began to grow in my fear, and my fear creeped into this foolish way of dealing with my finances to where I wouldn't even look at the bank account balance because I didn't wanna know how bad it really was. Now, let me just come right out and tell you guys, that was foolish, because I allowed fear to creep into where I was living in this place of denial. And here's the bigger point I wanna make in this. We would go to church every single week and we would pray, God, financial breakthrough, financial breakthrough, financial breakthrough. And what would so often happen was we would hear this message of sow big and reap big, so big and reap big, give more and you'll get more, give more and you'll get more. I'm not saying that to criticize any of the leaders I've ever had. But can I tell you something? We were taught all this when we had these financial challenges that the way to get out of it was sow, 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 sow. sow. And nobody taught us about stewardship. Because sowing and reaping wasn't the solution to the problem, stewardship was the problem. And what we had to learn was that we were sowing money we didn't have, and we should have been learning how to be good stewards of the money we did have. God had only asked us to bring the first tenth, our tithe, into the storehouse, and then we could sow over and above that if we wanted. But instead, we were always trying to sacrifice our way out of a situation. Instead, God was just wanting us to become good stewards of the place we were. There's a difference between faith and foolishness. I've come to learn this over time. But foolishness is sitting back in me expecting God to fix a problem when I'm unwilling to do anything about it. Let me say that one more time. Foolishness is when I'm expecting God to fix a problem and I'm unwilling to do anything about it. Because faith is substance and faith is evidence. Faith is action. Faith is never inactivity and it's most certainly not denial. Faith is facing my fears and saying the opposition is big but I believe my God is greater and I will do something with what I have. That's what faith is. Jesus said these, I mean, think about this, these principles of stewardship. Jesus said these words, Matthew 6, 10 through 12. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. You might feel like what you have in your bank account right now or what you have in your hand or what you have in your job is least, but if you be faithful the little you have, watch God bring increase so that you become a steward over more. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in more. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the, tr- the trust of the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Sometimes we ask God to give us more, and more, 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 and God's saying, why don't you be a good steward of what you got, and then we'll talk about that. I heard a pastor say these words once he said if you're believing God for a swimming pool a step of faith would be to buy a shovel so I thought I'd add a few more of my own if you're believing God for better health a step of faith would be to invest in some running shoes and a gym pass that didn't sound very spiritual but that's the reason why a lot of us don't do it If you're believing God for financial freedom, a step of faith would be to stop being a slave to impulsive spending. You can't sow your way out of bad stewardship. If you're believing God for a better job, a step of faith would be to create a resume and start submitting it. That sounds so simple that a lot of us won't do it. But faith is a partnership. Faith is saying, God, you've made me a promise, and I'm not going to sit back just waiting for you to deliver the pizza. I'm going to get off the couch. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to go pick it up myself. Listen to me this morning. Faith is a partnership. Faith is never denial. Faith is never inactivity. God responds to us when we step out in faith, because without it, it's impossible to please him. I believe that there are people here this morning as you've heard this message, you're not thinking about big, crazy, lofty things that you need to do to get out of the situation you're in. Instead, you've thought of a few really practical things that you can do to start taking steps of health in the right direction. And God will meet you if you'll take those simple and practical steps. Because faith is a partnership. I want to encourage every single person that's here today. If you feel like God is drawing and bringing a few things to your thought, your thoughts right now, and saying you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to do this to take steps in the right direction, they might be very simple and practical steps. But if you are faithful in those little steps, watch what God will do when you start walking out in faith. Watch what He'll do. Finally, this morning, maybe you're here and you've never even walked into a relationship with God. Can I tell you something? A relationship with God is a partnership salvation and the forgiveness of sins. It's God extending grace to us and us reaching out and accepting it by faith. You might feel like you're far from God today and you think about a relationship with God and having the blessing of God in your life and you say, how in the world can it happen? Why in the world would I be worthy of that? Can I tell you something? I mean, a person in the room who's worthy of it, but God loved us so much that he gave it to us by grace. and We can accept it by reaching out and taking it in faith. Scripture tells us that we walk into a relationship with God through salvation, through the forgiveness of sins, when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus went to the cross for us and that God raised him from the dead, conquering death and hell and grave for us forever and ever and ever. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I want to tell you that all the blessing in the world starts with a relationship with God. He has an amazing purpose for your life and he wants to give you hope for an eternity spent with him forever and ever and ever. Maybe you're far from God and if you're honest with yourself, you know you've walked away at some point in your life. Can I tell you that God is always waiting with open arms to welcome you right back into the family this morning? I wanna ask everybody if you would bow your head. This is an important thing that we do in every single service. We do our very best to honor your time on a Sunday morning. Can I ask that you would have some honor and courtesy for those around you, wait till the end of the service to leave because right now we're going to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus into their life. Today, if you know you need to walk into a relationship with God and say yes to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you'll believe it with everything on the inside of you and confess these words right out loud, I believe according to the word of God, you will experience salvation and have a relationship with God. Right out loud, would everybody repeat these words and say this? Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead so that I could be forgiven, so that I could know you, and so I could have hope in this life and for all of eternity. Today I choose you. Today I follow you. I want to learn your ways, and I want to walk with you all the days of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning, you made that decision, or you recommitted your life to God, we want to help you take your next step. We have a simple tool we would love to put in your hands this morning to help you take your next steps. It's a simple book that's called The Next Seven Days, and there's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we'll have some prayer teams down here. If you want to walk up to one of these prayer teams, let them know today, I made a decision to follow Jesus. You don't have to remember the name of the book. You don't even have to tell them a whole lot. We're just here to help you in in any way that we possibly can. But they'll give you that book to help you start your walk with God. If you need someone to pray with you, they're here to help you and to pray with you and to stand with you and encourage you. That's why they're here. If you need to go quickly after the service, you can stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we possibly can. We're so glad you made that decision. We think it's the best decision you could ever make, and we want to help you take your next few steps. So as a family this morning, can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? Amen.